Hi, everyone. This is Abhi Shake, your host from ShakeTheCosmos.com. Just want to say that Shake the Cosmos is a global community and a platform where you will hear inspirational stories from entrepreneurs and average Joes, people just like yourself who have overcome hardship to achieve their dreams. And these stories are guaranteed to inspire you to take action, to take the next step, to take the leap of faith towards achieving what matters to you and achieving your greater mission in life. So don't miss out on the future episodes. Hit that subscribe or follow button, please, please. And give this episode a rating. That'll help me out on the organic search results. Thank you so much. As many of you know, I've been doing a lot more traveling lately. And while I've loved meeting new people, sharing experiences, and sharing stories, one thing I definitely don't like sharing is germs. That's why I always bring my Wind Plus with me wherever I go. It's a portable air purifier that can filter out airborne respiratory droplets, helping me feel safe while on the go, on the plane, to the office, or in the car. In addition to viral respiratory droplets, it can also remove smoke, smog, pollen, dust, and other particles, making it perfect for anyone who cares about their air quality. And honestly, that's pretty much all of us nowadays, right? If you're interested... Ray, the CEO of Wind, and a recent guest on the show was kind enough to provide us an exclusive deal. Simply use code COSMOS on their website to get $30 off any Wind device that includes not only their portable air purifiers, but also their new Wind Max air purifier for the home and Wind Halo air quality sensor. So go to www.hellowind.com, that is H-E-L-L-O-W-Y-N-D dot C-O-M, that's wind with a Y, pick up a new air purifier and use code COSMOS to get $30 off. Now back to the show. Hi everyone, this is Abhishek from shakethecosmos.com. My guest today is Pedro Mora, CEO and co-founder of Flourish Savings, a company that rewards you for saving money. We originally met at UC Berkeley High School of Business and became quickly friends. And last time I remember we were literally singing and biking in Sacramento. And it was like a Sacramento boot bike. And I'm excited about today's topics. We're gonna talk about money. And we're going to talk about savings. And if you're listening for the first time, Shake the Cosmos is a platform that brings you inspirational stories of entrepreneurs who overcome odds to find their greater mission in life and follow it. And if you're listening, hit the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on weekly episodes. And again, if you want to hit me up, just uh, DM me on Shake the Cosmos on Instagram. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Pedro, for joining. Very excited to be here. I had forgot about the whole experience in Sacramento. Uh, beer tasting while on the bicycle. That was fun. Yeah, unheard of. Like now it seems like ages ago. Like, how oh, how is that possible? <laughs> Isn't it? Awesome. Well, you know, for the viewers and listeners, just give me a little bit background about you for the listeners. Happy to do that. Uh, so I'm Pedro. I am the founder and CEO of Flourish, and we are redesigning the way individuals interact with money. I am originally from Brazil. I've been in the States since I'm 15 years old. And similar to many other immigrants, many other Latino immigrants, my family came to the U.S. to live the American dream. We landed in the Silicon Valley without knowing what the heck the Silicon Valley was. 
My mom cleaned houses, did all sorts of odd end things to provide me and my little brother with better education. And I'm very fortunate to the sacrifices that she has done to put myself in a position to have a great education and pursue a career in fields that I didn't thought it would exist. So I study economics, international relations at the University of California, Davis, trying to put my own oxygen mask on. I started my career in traditional financing and wealth management at Morgan Stanley. Quickly realized I was so detached from my own reality of living here as an immigrant growing up in the northeast of Brazil that was intellectually challenging, but really detached to the people that I wanted to serve. So I then transitioned to Chase on the retail side where I got to interact with everyday humans, if you will. But I was quite frustrated that the products there were not designed for everyday individuals. And I was just simply a number in a very large organization. So I transitioned to then a startup that was doing small dollar loans to help the Latino community in the U.S. establish credit in the U.S. And I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. I joined Opportune, which is now listed on the NASDAQ as a publicly traded company at around Series C, Series D, where when I started, it was like 200 people. By the time I left for business school, it was 3,000 people. We used to do 4,000 loans a month, doing 40,000 loans a month. So it was an incredible experience as a young professional of a venture-backed organization with a strong mission that grew really quickly. That allowed me to have this amazing career. And then I went back to business school up check where we met. And I had two hypotheses when I was in business school. One was this idea of creating financial service products for people that are starting out their financial journey in addition to responsible credit. How can I help people better manage their money? And then the other part of the hypothesis is the more idealistic side, if you will, of how could I help back the places that I came from where most of my family is at uh, and look back to emerging markets, specifically Latin America, specifically Brazil. So with those two theses, I started exploring. I met amazing people during, during my MBA, one of them being now my co-founder, Jessica Eating. And from an innovation class, we never looked back. We raised a little bit of funds, started a product in the U.S. Uh, as a savings account using game mechanics and behavioral science to help individuals save and have since pivoted the business to now license our technology to financial institutions, retailers, and fintechs to better engage with their end users and help them build positive money habit. So that's a little bit about myself and uh, a quick journey of how Flourish started. I love it. And I hear the evolution of Pedro and I hear the evolution of the journey of the career and the startup world as well. So thinking about your upbringing and how did that influence your ideas about money? And, you know, I, I think about money in different ways. So, you know, how did, how did that work for you and how do you define money? Yeah, money, money, like it's, you cannot help but think money is present in everything you do in your life, right? But money in my family was always a means to do something. So it was a vehicle to do something. And to us, it meant... My mom gave up a life as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman there to start over and perhaps make more money doing something else. But she, she saw this as a vehicle to allow for me, my brother, to have a better future. The similar way I see money in my life, right? Like money has started my career. It meant that I wanted to provide for my family and make sufficient amount of money. But then you get to a stage in your career. Yes, money can always, it's never sufficient and you can always make more. 
But to me, it's always about like, what is it that you're doing with it? What are you seeking to achieve? Because you can never be fully satisfied. So my, in my own life, what it led me to do a lot of the work that I do is that having some knowledge about money can unlock your dreams and goals. And fully avoiding that money is not good can also be really bad in your life. Uh, and it can cause a lot of stress in both ways, if you forget about it or if you're fully devoted on all about money, right? So that balance is hard to strike in anything in your life. But one of the things that led a lot of, of the decisions that I've made in my career has been, look, the system can be quite complex. Is there enough people thinking about providing responsible products to individuals that carry a journey similar to mine? And to me, the immigrant community in the U.S. that was learning about the financial system, now it means that it brought a scale of like, can I support banks and institutions in emerging markets, which is much different today. But can you have products that actually allow people to achieve their dreams and goals without being so complex? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting you say that the money is complex and the systems are complex. And do you feel like that's in some ways part of the struggle here? A little bit, you know, the dollar or the pesos or the yuan is so easy to look at, but maybe just not a full understanding of the complexity around it. Like in any, any sort of social issues, right? <laughs> It's not as simple. It goes a lot deeper than the tool itself and the money, right? So we can get into philosophical really quickly, but I guess if you are to simplify, look, we live in a society that saving money means spending less. Like saving money means that you go to the store and you're now spending less. Anything that you do with one click, you can make purchases and your money goes away. People are trying to control your paycheck at the top with loans, all sorts of products. And we have put a lot of great brains in our society to get people to take on more loans. Why can we have more brains or people designing products for people to build better lives versus just simply get into a debt trap? And that, it can be philosophical because that's how the system works, but that is a type of issue that I wanted to tackle and at least put some of my own brain power to say, look, it's not all about getting the people in a trap. Can you have a more sustained and balanced life? And of course, you know you live within a system, so you can only affect pieces of it to make a change. But essentially, that's why both Jessica and I wanted to join this. Like, we believe access to responsible products is a basic need in the society that we live in. And people should be given certain tools to better manage their money. Yeah, I mean, and this, it's a real trap too. And, you know, looking at some of the facts here, like, I think from what I read, is the financial vulnerability in America is like a real problem. So with there's over 138 million people struggling financially and less than half of the adults with less than $400 saved. So a simple visit to like the emergency room or a broken car transmission forces individuals to borrow money. So have you found some trends as, as you've been like living in this space? So, sorry to, to say this, but can we double click on that? Because like to most people that don't register, $400 <laughs> saved, like it's half of Americans do not have $400 saved in case of emergency. That means that Maria, that may clean your house, may not be able to get to work if her car breaks down without having to get a payday loan to get there. I'm glad we're double clicking on that. I think it's, it's something easy to gloss over, really, to think about it. And also, I love that you humanize it as well. You know, it's, it's a person you might know. Literally, and like it might be somebody in your social circle. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry, and I interrupted your question. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think so. Let's say you know, as you're working through this, like this is definitely like a philosophical thing for me. Like I always think of money as a social construct, but it is very, very real. And you know, people don't have savings. So why is that? What have you found? Yeah, you can also go into into kind of like the two directions, right? You can say like, look, Latinos in the U.S makes sense of the dollar of other folks. There are systematic challenges in the type of work that you do, but maybe we shouldn't go there. Let's leave that conversation to folks that do other sort of social work. But if you look at the other end of like, we live in a society that's all about immediate gratification. Like you're talking about that everywhere you hit, it's like ads to sell you things. It's college education costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of discipline. If you think about this idea of like, putting money aside, you're foregoing something today for something that you're going to do later. And if you may not be making enough money, you don't have the discipline and you are bombarded from all ends and you don't have that discipline of putting money aside, it's really hard, really, really hard. And it's really convenient to get a credit card, to get an auto loan, to pay installments. So building that discipline can be really hard. And if the system is made perhaps to get you to get a loan and get a second loan and a third loan because you make a lot of money that way becomes really challenging. So if you don't have that muscle built in early on, it's going to be really tempted. And some people only learn after making a couple of mistakes. And I feel that, you know, the mistakes can be made at all levels within the lower class, middle class, upper class. Like I think of my own example where I remember getting like my first job and thankfully I was paid well. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy a really nice car. I'm going to go buy like a Porsche Cayenne. And then my, one of my mentors gave me a book and it was, it was really insightful to read about this book and how people viewed money as time. And so it's just, I think your point around knowledge is huge. And sometimes you don't even realize there is this other way of thinking about money. That's right. And I think it goes back to kind of like, what do you want to do with money, right? Like, what is it that time is finite that we are here? We all have goals and aspirations that we want to achieve. But what is the type of life you want to carry? And what does that mean? And frugality for you in order to get there, like, there are people like from our research, you see people that make minimum wage and they're really good at putting money aside and have that sense of security. They have something that they want to be called upon in their family if someone comes up with emergency and have be the ones to provide it. And they be making minimum wage and they have that. But you see people with triple figure salaries uh, making a lot of money and still live in paycheck to paycheck. So this is not all about in different social status. You see people having this similar challenges. We specifically have decided to tackle and creating products and incentives for someone that's starting out their journey or perhaps don't necessarily have as much sophistication on how a system works to help them get started. But the problem goes up and down the ladder in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and this piece around like how, you know, it goes up around, up and down the ladder. And also like, so when you say they're, you're helping people that are just starting the journey, like what is that like? Who are those kinds of folks we're talking here? So we started as a company, we started as like, think of it a digital piggy bank, like a digital savings account that we incentivize individuals to save and keep money 
using game mechanics and incentives that you'd see in a lottery. Things like make a deposit and keep your money there, earn a chance to win a prize. Things like come back and check your accounts to earn a chance to win a prize. So we started to like do injection of dopamine, if you will, as you're taking small steps to your finances and breaking it down into smaller steps that could be achievable. So we started, that was our initial product and it was targeted towards individuals that were called first generation financial citizens. They were like young adults in their early 20s. They had some sort of debt, but they were starting to make decent money and wanted to start saving even before thinking about investing, having the rainy day fund. So we started there. We built a case study that our mechanics helped people save on average $600 to $800 by being with us for a period of time and people that were not saving at all. And then we started to look at that and say, well, we have a couple thousand users doing that. Can we abstract that and perhaps license to banks that have those users that the banks wants to engage and interact with them in a digital world? And can we license those mechanics to financial institutions? So we signed a contract with uh, one of the most renowned financial institutions in the world called Banco Sol out of Bolivia. And they have been one of our first implementations of this software. And there has a lot of similarities of this consumer that we tested in the US. Of course, different markets, different incomes, but it has similarities of saying they make an income, they have some debt, but they are starting to build a little bit of a rainy day fund. So a lot of the consumers that we work with are individuals that are really starting out their journey. We may not talk about people here that have have thousands and thousands that are looking for investment vehicles. We're talking about people that may have lived paycheck to paycheck and are starting to break out of that habit. And as you're going like, and that's so exciting that you're finding these trends globally, but are you also finding that it's like different how people think about money and savings as, you know, some of your customers are now international? Yeah, we see a lot. Like, I I think I would, I would talk in two different ways, right? Like people, human behavior, like everybody wants to be recognized, wants to be rewarded. You break steps into small pieces and that's human nature but of course there's the pieces of like localization so we've worked with institutions in the us brazil and bolivia now and what we see is that in latin america we see this that money is especially in emerging markets much different in the us but money is a family it's a group elements you don't make decisions in a vacuum the U.S., you see very a lot of like individuality, like the, the reasons, the goals you have, some of the reasons why you want to put money away. Yes, family is involved, but it's sometimes a individual first, then family second. And, it, and a lot of the research that we've done in Latin America, it has this these elements. It's like so ingrained into the family pieces. And what does that mean for in terms of like as you start to nudge individual to spend differently or nudge individuals to start to put money in a way and the elements around like it's not only about you it's beyond you really resonate with individuals in latin america but then at the end of the day people want to be rewarded they want to to be recognized so we see a lot of similar elements of also like how do you leverage data to then nudge individuals in a certain way and make recommendations mixing both the gamification aspect, but also like the intelligence behind turning data into insights and recommendations. And then how is this relationship 
changing a little bit now with COVID, people's relationship with money, or what are you seeing in your industry, at least? COVID was a big reality check to a lot of us. We saw two things through the data, right? We saw people that were not affected in terms of income started to save a lot more money, started to put a lot more money away. So you started to see like transactions that used to be $15 savings transaction ended up being 30, 45 when people were contributing because that was reality. Before it was this abstract thing that was like, you may have emergency in the future or this may, like it's inevitable that it happened, but it happens shocks to you specifically. This was a shock that was global. And we started to see people that had money saved more. Like security meant a lot, of, a lot to a lot of people. And then, of course, there are the people that perhaps lost their jobs. And at that time, it was not about saving or putting money away. It was about making their spending pattern last longer, right? So we also saw, and it's very unfortunate, and in places that we cannot help as much as an organization of folks that lost their jobs and now, now they're in trouble, right? And our industry, what happened, and not to bore the listeners, but what has happened is during the downturn that happens every 10 years, you put a pandemic on top of that is that lending gets shut down to a lot of people. Like the lenders or banks stopped lending during the pandemic because they don't know how the, the portfolio is going to react. So it was quite devastating to see some of the consumers that we have worked with or support that lost their job and then not, did not have responsible lending products available to them. So that's really when you see the power of like, oh man, the system that we live in it needs intervention from government or some sort of check or reimbursement from the government. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely sad and like the whole thing, of course. And I mean, I've, and it's interesting to see what you're seeing in the data, like how people saving is impacted. Of course, at, you know, the government's doing different things in different countries. And I've, you know, I've heard various opinions about that as well. <laughs> Let me build a little bit more on like, so from that perspective, so that's, that's the individual end user, perhaps of our technology, right? But from banks, it has really been magnified some of the poor experiences we had digitally in the banking industry. So like, as you know, like COVID really like drastically done digital transformation in a lot of industries, but also from a business perspective to us, it was really positive from the perspective of like, look, banks could not do it by themselves. They started to license more of a technology, like the pipeline of number of institutions, like specifically in Brazil, where you had a population of nearly like 40% of people without bank accounts, uh, give or take. And we saw about 20 million people that did not have accounts because of the government incentives ended up being digitized or being banked because of uh, the checks that were given were given digitally. So you're also seeing this massive change on behavior and it's really intriguing to see how that will play out. Like, can you sustain those individuals digitally? Can you service them in a way that you never could before? Similar to the way that you see your grandma using Zoom, now you have individuals that didn't use digital financial service products doing it. So it's also quite a massive human level, society level experimentations happen under our eyes. I think that's a longer term change that's going to be a lasting this digital transformation piece. And, you know, I'm here in Korea and I'm meeting people who are used to buying like Bitcoin, like little kids have know everything about Bitcoin. And then I tell them like in U.S., like many people don't know what it is. What's the, there's confusion around it. There's not trust around it. So 
you know, that's just an example, but like as this long-term change that you're saying is happening, what kinds of things might change the game here in the future? Yeah, I think, so see, see it from this way. Banking was all about trust, right? Like in the old days, uh, you have individuals that like, you do transaction with so-and-so because you trust that person or, or like you can use the Wells Fargo, like they had the best, I don't even know the word for it. But it's all about trust, right? You do business, you lend to people that you trust. And then the banks have their own charters. So they had almost this oligopoly into a lot of it. And then you see the evolution of banking that you see signals of this. You see Starbucks now have a, almost like this prepaid card that you put money into this to buy your coffee. You have Uber giving prepaid cards to the drivers. You have Apple giving their credit card. So think continuing that thread that banks are not necessary, but banking transactions are. Mm -hmm. So into that line, who are the banks of the future? Do they look like, could a Disney have their own type of accounts because they have trust with the consumer, they know the individual well, could you have accounts that are out of the banking system? And I think that's a, a trend that's happening under our eyes, this modularization of finances and the personalization of finances also. So think about that your bank is not your bank of today. Could it be Google with uh, different elements, but could it also be a school that knows you well and can provide you uh, banking products? And I think at that level, it's just like with precise medicine, right? Like if you know individual well, you have access from the data from different ways, can you make recommendations or nudges or send people into a direction that they can make better decisions within their life? And I think that to me is really exciting to just see that it's not only about the traditional financial service industry, but really like how you transact in everything that you do in your life and how from that data you can help enable you to make better decisions. I think that that's pretty fascinating to think about has like a long-term vision. I think that is fascinating. And, uh, you know, just thinking about how the technology, I, I always sometimes like to think, you know, what is the technology that is going to trump me when I get like really old? Like when my parents figured out how to use text messages, I was like, oh, this is going to be a life changing event. So <laughs> it's wonderful to, you know, I'm actually, I'm excited about this personalization from, from a healthcare perspective. You know, I've been in healthcare for a while. So that's, it's a big deal to just personalize. It's kind of fun to hear the personalization in financial industry that might start to take place. And build on that, right? Like, look, with financial data, like you, you know what everybody, like where you're transacting, what are you spending, when, how often, and then you connect that, that the whole, like, and banks have not been good at like, they only use that data to underwrite you to like, can you get a loan or can you not get a loan? But put that data combined with other data to make your recommendations around your life. I think that's pretty, pretty fascinating. So similar way that you have Netflix inside of every TV, could you have elements of money recommendation automation slash uh, recommending you what perhaps things that you don't even know about yourself, like a Netflix TV show, but could they be recommending you things that you may want to do? Are you able to do it? Let me guide you on how to do it and automatically get you there. I think that's pretty fascinating. We're still a long ways to go in getting data from different places, but we're not far, far from it. 
I love it. I love getting like these inside looks into what might be happening. And I'm excited. I think I can't wait until like Netflix pops me, pops something on the bottom right of my screen, by the way, <laughs> click on this. And then about Flourish as well, you know, what are some things you're excited about that are just coming up, you know, around the horizon here? Yeah, we're, we're a very early stage organization, right? Like we, we're two and a half years old. We had previously raised funds from angels and had been part of accelerators. We're just now closing our first institutional round uh, where our team will go from being a team of 10 and super scrappy, serving a couple of financial institutions to go to a team of 18, 20 people in the next year or so. So looking forward in terms of like doubling size as an organization and having a little bit more funds to, to fulfill on the mission and serving a larger number of people. So we're very excited to embark on this next phase of their, their organization of both growing from the number of people that work within the company, but also to the number of people we are serving at the end of the day with our product. We have fully pivoted to focus on B2B, on serving banks as our customer. So we're also very excited as an entrepreneur to learn more about enterprise sales and working with very large institutions that are often not known to be early adopter, but uh, co-creating and having the power of uh, distributing our products to millions of people. So quite excited for that. Yeah, more than anything, it's a new phase as an entrepreneur, right? You go from being a couple of founders with a few folks that believed on you to now uh, having investors, to having a set of a couple dozen people that are there day to day with you and building the mission. So quite, quite excited for that. You're just living and breathing in it, man. This is amazing. And I, you know, so let's say someone is, you know, listening right now and they're like kind of fired up about this money and saving stuff. Like what kinds of things someone can do to just kickstart their savings? Just do it. Like <laughs> as simple as that, right? Like anything, like just like working out, it's uh, we're going to start it this day. Are we going to do that? Like we all have a, Perhaps a student loan that you need to call and renegotiate and refinance. So we all have something that's been in the back burner that we were supposed to do, but have not got around to do it. Yes, it can, it can be intimidating at times, but it will pay off. So the, the best day to start is today, if not yesterday. Don't wait to do it. So if you're, if you're thinking either, and if you have the savings, you have a rainy day fund that you already have six months of an emergency if something happens, now it's time to look into different investing products. And we all have a friend that can hold you accountable to it. So I think that's also really important. Like it's not really a go unless you share, you make it public. And money is often a topic that we don't quite like to talk about in our society. So finding a trusted partner that you can truly share some of your goals, ambitions, or challenges, I think that's also really important. Well, thank you so much, Pedro. And again, if you're listening right now and you want to save, just do it. And Pedro, really appreciate your time. And uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. It's been really fun. And I hear you won a entrepreneurship award. You haven't told us about that. Maybe next episode or? Oh, yeah. That's a really good point. I have. And that's a great idea. I actually should talk about that in the next episode. I'm here in Korea receiving the benefits of the entrepreneurship award. And uh, you talked about some of the accelerators and I agree. I think these kinds of support systems can be like really nice when you're in this early stage, kind of nurturing. So I'm excited. What have you been working on? What's the concept about? Share us with us. 
Totally. So, I mean, I used to have a, you know, nine to five job and I wasn't feeling as fulfilled. So I decided to talk about just the things I was really good at, really good at product management, really good at some of the sales techniques, really good at medical device space, healthcare. I just started talking about it. People started listening to it. And then my friends were like, why don't you do workshops around this? And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And then people started paying money to see me talk. And I was like, this is a new thing. And I was like, all right, we'll double the amount of tickets and money. And then that happened too. So, and now what I'm doing now is doing online workshops. So I have some coming up with UC Berkeley next year. Also just, just, you know, podcasts, having fun while I'm traveling. So I just share my stories as well. So it's turned into an inspirational platform for people, entrepreneurs and stories. The next thing I'm working on with this accelerator here is to launch a subscription-based model. So that's a new thing as an artist and it's called Patreon. So uh, that's coming soon. So <laughs> that's a little bit about me. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to play host for a second. So it sounds like a couple a couple of things here. One is putting yourself out there and sharing your story as, a, as one start. Finding a problem that people really want to pay for it, which you have. And now the, the third piece is finding repeatable process to scale, right? So it's really cool I'm check to, to hear a little bit of this. And I'm excited to hear more about the journey. Well, you're not the first one that ends up asking me about it. Usually it doesn't get recorded, but I'm excited. This, this will be fun to watch and listen to. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pedro. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you.